0: And let's start reading verse number one of James chapter three, verse one. My brethren, be not many masters, knowing that we shall receive the greater condemnation. For in many things we offend all, if any man offend not in word, the same as a perfect man, and able also to bridle the whole body. Behold, we put bits in the horses' mouths, that they may obey us, and we turn about their whole body. Behold also the ships, which though they be so great, and are driven of fierce winds, yet are they turned about with a very small helm, whithersoever the governor listeth. Even so the tongue is a little member, and boasteth great things. Behold, how great a matter a little fire kindleth. And the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. So is the tongue among, among our members, that it defileth the whole body, and setteth on fire the course of nature, and it is set on fire of hell." For every kind of beasts and of birds and of serpents and of things in the sea is tamed and hath been tamed of mankind, but the tongue can no man tame. It is an unruly evil full of deadly poison. Therewith bless we God, even the Father, and therewith curse we men which are made after the similitude of God. Out of the same mouth proceeded blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not so to be. The fountain send forth at the same place, sweet water and bitter. Can the fig tree, my brilliant brethren, bear olive berries, either of vine figs? So can no fountain both yield salt water and fresh. So there's our text for this evening. And that is where we're going to finish our studies in James. I won't be speaking in James at or and Foyle weekend. I don't actually know yet what I'm going to be speaking on at Auck and but it won't be James. And so we'll pick this up again when we start up. Uh, next session so James chapter 3 is uh, this very practical section and really not just dealing with the whole subject but a very practical section where he starts to deal with the issue of the tongue and of speech and you remember again we're thinking of the flow of thought in this epistle which is to speak about the evidences of true faith and the practical test and trial of faith and there is no greater trial of faith than what comes out of our mouths in terms of our speech and our conversation. It is a test, it is a trial, it's an evidence, it's a litmus test so to speak as to where we are and it's a litmus test as to what is inside us because what comes out of our mouth does originate from inside us in our heart. And James is very concerned about this as we should be. In fact, he mentions the tongue in every chapter of this epistle. It's a recurring theme. And as he does so, he's going to sound a warning at the beginning of the chapter in verse number one to those whom it would seem were very keen to use their tongues in a public sphere, in a teaching sphere. So he sounds a warning to those who use their tongue, who use language, who use words in their service for God. And he's particularly going to focus on those who are teachers and the authorised uses the word master which is not a bad translation because it does carry that connotation of authority but those who are teachers so he's going to show that the tongue he's already spoken about in chapter 1 in verse 26 and said this if any man among you seem to be religious and bridleth not his tongue but deceives his own heart this man's religion is vain So already he's demonstrated that if you cannot control your tongue, if you have no self-discipline in terms of your language and your conversation, then it is a sign that you are not saved, that you have no living faith, that you are not a Christian. That's what he says in chapter 1 in verse 26, because a faith which doesn't touch the tongue is no faith at all. And a faith that does not transform your words is not a transforming faith. If it cannot deal with your language and with your words, then how can that faith deal with the issues that lie at the very centre of your life? Not the expression of these issues, but the core issues of sin and forgiveness and redemption and new birth. Well, if your tongue, if your words are not transformed, then how is it possible that you as an individual have been transformed. Therefore, those who teach the faith ought to be measured by the words that they use. So if transforming living faith is seen in the transformation of your language and conversation in words, those who teach that transforming faith ought to be demonstrating the reality of that in their speech and the transformation of their speech it makes sense so you cannot teach and use language which is wrong inappropriate hypocritical and teach about a faith that transforms every part of your being including your language it's just hypocrisy and he's going to warn about that hypocrisy but in this verse he teaches the teachers, to take seriously that and says, be not many masters. So he's warning those who desire to teach, be very careful. Because you're going to seek to serve God with that which is most dangerous in your body, your tongue. And you're going to seek to use for God what actually is uncontrollable naturally. So that in itself is a dangerous task to do. So if we have got a potential to sin, and that potential to sin is with our tongue, then to use our tongue to serve God means this, we have a heightened potential to sin. So this is a service for God that ought not to be entered lightly. And that's why he says... Be not many teachers. Now, to stand before people and to, I suppose, do what I'm doing tonight or to teach scripture in whatever context, expound the Bible, is a potential minefield due to the power of the tongue to do good and evil. To influence people positively and negatively. To shape people's lives and to shape their affections positively and negatively. Those who teach need to be concerned with accuracy, with compassion, with spirituality. They need to be concerned with conveying the truth of God contextually. All of that is vital for those who seek to teach the scriptures. Because to fail to do that, to fail to do what ought to be done when you teach, which is convey the truth of God accurately, compassionately, powerfully, and so on, is to use the tongue in a very dangerous fashion so he says be very careful now he's not saying don't desire to be a teacher he's not saying that being a teacher is a bad thing he's saying this be cautious about taking that role for god this idea of teacher is the same idea as rabbi and it carries the same force and it would have carried the same idea of respect in that jewish culture and you remember nicodemus comes to the lord jesus and you remember that conversation he says we know that thou art teacher in israel and he came and he was going to the person they thought was a teacher in israel and he comes with that respect that the jews gave to the rabbis now it may well be that people in james day amongst the christians were given or even demanded that sort of position amongst the Christians, which is, of course, not biblical. You cannot elevate the teacher in terms of his service above anyone else's service. It's certainly not an elevated position biblically, although naturally we do tend to do that. But that's not in the bible you come to first corinthians chapter 12 13 and 14 and that section demonstrates that everyone's service for god is equally valuable in the eyes of god and also equally valuable and necessary for us as saints so there's no second or third tier of service for god it's all on the same tier it's all of the same value it's all of the same significance and God gifts you and enables you to be able to serve Him, whatever way He does, and then He enables you to carry out that service. The warning is just this: don't necessarily aspire to be this teacher, rabbi sort of figure. Why? Knowing, he said. Here is the knowledge that mitigates against that type of attitude. Knowing that we, James included, shall receive the greater condemnation. Now, when you think about the Apostle Paul, he took very seriously his responsibility to teach accurately, to teach comprehensively, and to serve God to the best of his ability in the service that God had for him. So, for example, he said to the Ephesian elders in Acts chapter 20, I take you to record this day, I am pure from the blood of all men. I have not shunned to declare unto you all the counsel of God. He said, my hands are clean. I have taught not just part of the truth, not just selective sections of the truth, but I've taught you the whole counsel of God. I haven't held anything back from you. And he had a clear conscience in that respect in relation to these people, that he had served God with his tongue, teaching them the truth of God. That's why, by the way, when you come to Paul's writings to Timothy, He says this in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 5 to 7. Now the end of the commandment is charity out of a pure heart and of a good conscience and of faith unfeigned. From which some having swerved have turned aside unto vain jangling, desiring to be teachers of the law, understanding neither what they say nor whereof they affirm. So you had people taking a position amongst the saints that was not theirs to take and they were not suitable for a teaching role either. It was just empty noise. It wasn't accurate, true communication of God's truth. Not in a sterile academic sense, but in a faithful, passionate, accurate sense that God would speak through his word to his people. James says this, the consequence of accepting that service from God and doing it is this, you will be subject to greater scrutiny. He says we shall receive the greater condemnation. So the person, just think about this, that is standing before or who is before God's people, teaching them the truth of God, Is subject to greater scrutiny than the people who are listening to the teaching. Why is that? Is their life subject to greater scrutiny? I don't think so. Is it the case that their morality has to be higher? No, I don't think so. But their service for God is subject to greater scrutiny. Why is that? Because of the huge impact of what is said for God upon the saints of God. Huge impact. You can serve God in any one of numerous ways. But the person who serves God from here, communicating to others, is influencing the thinking, the decision making and stands representing God and his truth and is saying, thus saith the Lord, from Scripture. I think he's pointing forward to the judgment seat of Christ. and I think that's why when Paul writes to Timothy, and Timothy was a Bible teacher, and says this, Be diligent to be approved of God, 2 Timothy chapter 2, a workman that needeth not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word God of truth and i think the future tense here here we shall receive the greater condemnation points forward to the judgment seat of christ so don't be hasty to take that position verse two why is the tongue such a problem well in verse two he says this for in many things we offend all now that doesn't mean that i offend all it means I offend in many things, in lots of different things. The ESV translation puts it this way. We all stumble in many ways. That's really the idea. So the idea is just this, and it's present tense, in all kinds of ways, all of us continually fail to do what's right. He said, listen, none of us are perfect. We all fail to do what's right, and we continually fail to do what's right. But then he says this If any man offend Not in word The same as a perfect man able also to bridle the whole body Now I was thinking about this The tongue is one dominant way In which we all fail Above all things Think about this The easiest way to sin Is to sin with your mouth The easiest way to sin why is that? Well, for example, if I want to go and do something that's sinful... I'm just going to open this door because the heat in here is building and building. It's not going to say in Scotland, but there we go. Yeah. We're in the open air, Sean. <laughs> yeah. So, if you want to sin in any particular way in terms of action there are always restraints there are always boundaries some self-imposed others imposed by relationship and by context and community but there are absolutely no restraints upon your tongue none whatsoever you can say what you like and there are no restraints to these words coming out your mouth and so you cannot do any sort of evil deed you want. You can do lots of things, but you can't do anything you want. But you can say anything you want, anytime you want. The only restraint upon your tongue is you. That's the only restraint. And therein lies the problem. In many things, we all stumble, but if you do not stumble in your speech you will be a mature individual and be able to control your whole body that's the significance of the tongue listen to what the lord said in matthew 12 he said "O generation of vipers how can you being evil speak good things for out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaketh a good man out of the good treasure of the heart bringeth forth good things And an evil man out of the evil treasure bringeth forth evil things. But I say unto you, that every idle word that men shall speak, they shall give account thereof in the day of judgment. For by thy words thou shalt be justified, and by thy words thou shalt be condemned. Now, if you've never read or considered or heard that verse particularly verse 37 there is a verse to consider for by thy words thou shalt be justified and by thy words thou shalt be condemned and it means this as believers in the Lord Jesus our words are subject to future assessment everything we say That is why when James speaks about this he says we all fail and we all fail many things but here is something above all things that demonstrate if we can master the tongue we will by and large master our whole body. Our whole body if we can master the tongue. If you cannot master the tongue you cannot master anything in your body. That's how important it is. The tongue, I would suggest, therefore, is the primary, the first and primary aspect of me as an individual that I need to pay attention to. The tongue. Some of us speak far too much. I often think this, that someone speaks far too much, run out of good and true things to say very quickly. Because there's only so many true things to say and good things to say, and if you talk non-stop, you've got to run out then you're going to have to start making stuff up and then you're going to have to start speaking about stuff you shouldn't be speaking about and people you shouldn't be speaking about that's what happens to people who can't stop talking and people who don't think that words are important words are hugely important they're important to God so here is the ultimate of spiritual maturity james is saying the man who controls his tongue the man who doesn't speak loosely the man who speaks carefully the man who doesn't use language without consideration or thinking there's any consequence to it if you can master your tongue such as the power of your tongue you will be able to master all the evil tendencies that are less powerful than the tongue Psalm 39 verse 1, I said, I will take heed to my ways, that I sin not with my tongue. I will keep my mouth with a bridle, while the wicked is before me. Being careful how you speak before the ungodly. Oh, you say, well listen, the tongue's such a small part of the body, why are you making such a big deal about it? Surely the tongue isn't the most important or most difficult part of the body to control. Well, actually, he now shows that that is seen all around us. In verse number three, he gives us an example. And in fact, he gives us two pictures here. First of all, in verse three, it's the picture of the horse. He said, behold, we put bits in the horse's mouths that they may obey us and we turn about their whole body. So he said, look, you think about the person who's riding a horse. How do they control that horse, which is a very large animal? so do they need to control the whole body do they have a harness that goes on the whole horse no how do they control where the horse goes they use a tiny little thing it's the bit Well, where does that go in the horse's mouth so the picture is this you control the horse's mouth you control the whole horse that's what he's saying in verse number three it's such a vivid demonstration a small piece of metal that actually lies across the horse's tongue controls the direction and the temperament and brings the whole horse under the obedience of the rider by controlling the tongue then he says in verse number four think about the big ship Now, you might not think that they had very big ships in those days, but remember this, when Paul was on a ship, I think it was 240-odd passengers on that ship, so they're big enough ships. And he says, Behold also the ships, which, though they be so great, and are driven of fierce winds. So you've got this idea of the sailing ship, uh, and you've got this huge big sail or sails, massive big ship, and the wind is such a strong influence upon the movement of that ship, but it's not the strongest influence. What's the strongest influence as to where that ship goes? It's the rudder. How big's the rudder? It's tiny compared to the size of the ship. So you get this principle, it says, yeah, are they turned about with a very small helm, whithersoever the governor listens. In other words, the desire of the captain or whoever is steering the ship is to bring the ship. In a direction he wants it to go how does he do that he uses the rudder so james is saying this concept of a very large thing being controlled by a very small thing is seen all around us and he brings it as an illustration to what he said about the tongue and our whole body and you say well you know the body's a big thing my whole life's so big he's saying listen your tongue controls the direction of your life so it does how many people's lives have gone off course because of things said? How many people's lives have been shipwrecked because of things said? How many relationships have been soured and broken because of words inadvisedly spoken, or lies that have been told, or jealousies that have been expressed, or hypocrisies that have actually been spoken? How many people would be, if they could, would take words that have come out of their mouth and grab them and put them back in if they could? but they're gone they're spoken once they're said they're out you see the tongue is such a dangerous thing you say well we've got directions spoken about but here's danger in verse number 5 so the directions verse 3 to 4 the dangers verse 5 even so the tongue is a little member boasteth great things behold how great a matter a little fire kindleth so the danger of a little fire burning a huge thing. She and I were in Vancouver at Easter. This story keeps coming back to my mind. And at a conference, one of the speakers spoke about a, a young boy who lit a match and thought it would be interesting to burn a cobweb on his family's barn, which had all the livestock in it. So he set a match to the cobweb, which then set fire to the barn, which then killed all the animals in the fire, and the whole wealth of the family went up in smoke. Now the point, the brother said, was this. Herb was his name, Herb was his name, and never forget it. The point was just this, that his father was willing to forgive him and drew him in and whispered words of forgiveness into his ear which wasn't how I thought the story would end. As I was listening to it, it certainly wouldn't have ended that way in the west of Scotland, as far as I'm aware. Um, things might have been whispered into the ear, more kind of threatenings and slaughter than words of forgiveness. But anyway, the point is just this. You strike a match; it's a tiny wee flame. Well, you think it's a great idea. I don't know who would do this. Now. You think it's a great idea to set a little thing in fire and before you know where you are, something could happen in Bridgeway where a whole bank of grasses and fire through a little fire just struck off a match. possible. Well, here's a story. Thomas Fariner, who was a baker to trade, was blamed for the great fire of London in 1666. One man in one shop. A spark from his oven... It's thought to have started the inferno that obliterated 350 acres of London. It destroyed 13,200 houses, 84 churches, 100,000 people were left homeless, many were forced to live in tents and shacks and surrounding fields for up to eight years. They ran from the flames like columns of ants, apparently carrying what they could. Some boarded boats in the River Thames. Others sought refuge in St Paul's Cathedral, but even St Paul's Cathedral was burnt to the ground. That's before the present St Paul's Cathedral was built, obviously. The point is just this. One spark out of an oven destroyed the city. Same in the Great Fire of Chicago. You can look that up and you'll see it's the same idea. It was all traced back to one spark, one little flint. That idea is there in verse five. Even so the tongue is small and it boasts great things. It's got a great you know, the tongue thinks very highly of itself and language and how how kind of impressive and sophisticated language is. Language is the greatest weapon known to man. You think of what language has done in history the power of words. It says, how great a matter a little fire kindled. So he's saying this, listen, the destructive power of words coming from a small member like a tongue is immeasurable. And It spreads like wildfire. No place does it spread faster and further than amongst the Christians. It spreads like wildfire the tongue is a fire verse six and we're going to see what he says about it here which is very interesting here's a quote i am more deadly than the screaming shell from a howitzer i win without killing i tear down homes break hearts wreck lives i travel in the wings of the wind no innocence is strong enough to intimidate me no purity pure enough to daunt me i have no regard for truth No respect for justice, no mercy for the defenceless. My victims are as numerous as the sands of the sea and often innocent. I never forget, I never will forgive. My name is Gossip. My name is Gossip. It says here in verse 6, the tongue is a fire. Here's the first expression, a world of iniquity. Now that world is cosmos, it's a system of iniquity. The tongue is an iniquitous system. It is an unrighteous, hostile, rebelling order. Cosmos within our own being. It's the focal point of all the unrighteous behaviour that lies latent within my heart. And it inflames all our capacities that we have to sin. The tongue has that effect. It's a world of iniquity. But secondly, it defiles the whole body, it says, in verse 6. Now, it just means this, when you set a fire, you know, up in Auckland Foil, okay, there was a fire last year, which had nothing to do with us, but the year before, there was also a fire which we set. So it was a bonfire you know if you've been at a bonfire because you come away and you're stinking of smoke. That's the idea here. The idea is just this, that the smoke stains anyone that's been close to this fire. So that your tongue has the ability to stain those in close proximity to it. It's a fire that actually defiles the whole body the whole body thirdly it sets on fire the whole course of nature that's presence tense it is setting on fire the idea is this the circle of life Now, the Greek is the wheel of birth or the circle of life or expressions like that. And it really just means this. It goes beyond the body. So you've got this system within you. You have your whole body tainted by it, which is all the capacities of your body. And it goes beyond the body to touch everyone who participates in your life, in the circle of your life. So you think about the circle of your life. What is that? That is your relationships your influence it is every part of life that you have a connection to and touch your tongue can and has the capacity to affect every single person within that circle and where does it find its destructive properties the last expression of verse six it is set on fire of hell present tense it is habitually being set on fire by hell where does this come from it's satanic the word hell here is gehenna and it probably refers in context to that place the valley of Hinnom, and that city dump that by this time was burning all the time was the place that is a fitting symbol for those who lived in that area for the ever-burning eternal fires of hell because here is the city refuge that burned all the time and the worms and maggots and whatnot crawled about in it and that was really the word that was used to speak about the character of that eternal destination where sin is judged it speaks about hell and the tongue is set on fire by hell where does the motivation where's the source of all of this stuff it's not the Lord it's Satan so that you could easily say and I think with some justification that when I use my mouth and words to destroy to harm to cause pain to perpetuate misery to tell lies, to be someone who is misrepresenting truth, all of that and many more things that you could think about. What are you doing? You are doing Satan's business. That's what we're doing. He's the one that lights the touch paper, steps back, the tongue does the rest. It's set on fire by hell, and then the forest fire rages out your mouth. Sometimes it's cloaked in piety, sometimes it's bare viciousness, sometimes it's lack of thought and concern, sometimes it's just selfishness, bad manners, and all the rest of it, whatever it is. When the fire rages, And when the spark has been lit, you lose control of its consequence. When words go, they've gone. You can't bring them back. So he says this, listen, in verse number 7, take this seriously, because he says, look at nature, he says, for every kind of beast and of birds and serpents, things in the sea is tamed and hath been tamed of mankind. So what he's saying is that, When you think about the ability that we have to control this tongue, think of all the animals with all their viciousness and all their seeming uncontrollable character. Man has actually been able to tame all of these things. So man was given dominion. Man is exercised and is presently, continuously subduing all of that. But man, no man, no man can subdue the tongue so there's not a single person in here that can control their own tongue i can't and you can that doesn't mean the tongue is uncontrollable it just says no man can control you see if you are being controlled by the spirit of god then your tongue will be brought into harness Because it is only the indwelling Spirit of God that gives the power and gives the character and gives the ability to control that uncontrollable element within us. You know that that's the case. You know when you are not walking well spiritually, how do people know by the way you speak? Not even just by what you say, by the way you say it. I mean, to be practical, there comes an edge into your voice. There comes a callousness into your conversation. There comes a viciousness sometimes into our words. And there's a lack of control. There's, there's an indiscipline in the way that we speak. Why is that? Because the Spirit of God is not in control of our lives at that point. We're not filled with the Spirit. Now, if it was bad in a generation before, remember this words are not only spoken they are also typed it's the same thing and so in our generation as middle-aged folk who get as far as facebook and some middle-aged venture into the deeper waters of social media but most don't and then a generation below us you communicate mostly through these medium media and so on that's the world that we live in but what it has done is this it has actually brought this issue into a more prominent place in our lives because i now have an ability to communicate with people instantaneously that i'm not actually face to face with so that i can communicate with thousands of people and they're not in my close proximity and I can communicate to groups of people and that communication is then spread out virally. So that's a whole different thing. So instead of speaking to one people or 20 people and you're looking at the person as you speak to them, you can speak to people at a distance without immediate consequence or relationship. And that brings this sort of ministry to us in a very powerful way so that as we communicate through social media or whatever we do use to communicate we take care as we do so we make sure we are careful in our language we make sure that the words we type are not the sort of thing we've been talking about that we don't gossip and we don't defame and we don't use words to destroy and to humiliate, and to break people down. Because that is Satan's work. And certainly not what the Lord would have us do. We can see, hopefully, the application of that in that environment, without going on about it, too much more. But there is the practical reality of it. It's set in the fire of hell. No man can tame verse 8. Man cannot do this, but God can. He can sanctify. He can use the tongue under the power of the Holy Spirit. For in verse number 9, he demonstrates that a failure to do so brings us into the sphere of being an abject hypocrite. Look at in verse number 9. He says, therewith bless we God, even the Father, and therewith curse we men, which are made after the similitude of God. So we bless God, but we curse men who are made in the image of God. He said, that's utter hypocrisy. To be blunt, you come along to your local church gathering and you are either audibly or inaudibly blessing God with your mouth, you're singing hymns to God's praise, or you're praying, and whether it's audible or inaudible, that's what you're doing. You're using either in your mind or expressing it out through your lips, and you're blessing God. You are eulogizing God. And ten minutes later, you are cursing men. He says that is hypocrisy and he says this in verse 10 out of the same mouth proceeded blessing and cursing my brethren these things ought not so to be I think that's the only place in the Bible that expression occurs he's really saying that is unacceptable unacceptable to use the same mouth to bless God and think it's acceptable to God that your mouth that's used to bless him in turn will be used to curse people, to bring them down, defame them and so on. You see, the Jews three times a day apparently had to repeat 18 prayers called the eulogies or benedictions, each one ending with this, blessed be thou, O God. That expression came out of their mouth continually. And then... They would defame people. You go to the book of Psalms, it's full of blessing. You think about Peter, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. A few weeks later, cursing, denying the Lord Jesus out the same mouth. Well, he shows how hypocritical that is with the pictures that follow and just demonstrates that this doesn't happen in nature he says in verse 11 doth a fountain send forth at the same place sweet water and bitter out of the same source you don't get sweet and bitter coming naturally you go to a fountain sweet water you don't take a, a mouthful of that and then take go back for another mouthful it's bitter again it's predictable and it's consistent then he says this can the fig tree my brethren bear olive berries well the answer is no because what you get off the fig tree is the character of the tree produced in its fruit figs so what comes out of your mouth is the fruit of what is in your heart can a vine produce figs no and he uses these natural illustrations to demonstrate this that true faith is demonstrated in our language in our words so, I don't think there's anyone in this room who can listen to that without taking stock, who can read this section without feeling, yeah, I can identify things I've said this week that were unnecessary, were cruel, that were said for the wrong reasons. I can identify, I'm sure we're all the same, conversations I had, and really, The language wasn't right. You see, that is because our tongue is such a powerful thing. Such a powerful thing. And sometimes you say things and you have no idea the consequences of what you say. No idea. And if what you say and how you said it, as they say to the children in school, was repeated back to you, then you might get a shock to hear yourself. As you've been speaking, I don't think there's anyone that can feel just very pleased with himself after reading that passage. And that's the way it should be, because that's how seriously James treats it. So this evening, let's just take that on board, let's just think about that, let's just consider what James is saying, how serious he is, and whether it is through your phone, or whether it is in personal relationships, face to face, or whatever in group conversations that you have, let us. Just be careful with the words that we use and the conversations that we have. Let us be careful. Let's just pray.